Well, I am pumped about today. Super excited. You know, it was 30 years ago this July that I met Pastor John Corson for the very first time. And what really came out of that was a, a great friendship. And Pastor John has been um, a mentor. In fact, probably, I could probably say that he has made the single greatest impact on my life as a pastor, in the way I read the Bible, in the way that I teach the Bible. And I just love him to death and love the whole Corson family. They are just such a special family. But it's interesting, a couple of months or three months after I meet John, his son Benjamin was born. And it just is kind of ironic in a really, really special way that 30 years later that I would be friends with his son and getting incredibly blessed and refreshed and encouraged by a young man that God has gifted in such an incredible way. He's one of those guys that, I think of Barnabas in the Bible. Barnabas was the guy who had that name, son of encouragement. And everywhere he went, I mean, he just brought encouragement to those who were around him. And that's what I feel and think of Ben. I mean, not only does he bless and encourage my life, but God is using him all over the country really right now. And I think his reach through media is spreading all over the world to impact the body of Christ in a very special way. And so I'm just thrilled to have have him with us today to share the message that God has put on his heart. So would you give a very warm welcome to Pastor Ben Corson. Thank you. I love you, Ben. Thank you. If you don't like Pastor Rob, you don't like unicorns and rainbows, and there's a big problem with you. Can we give a big round of applause to your pastor, Pastor Rob? We love you, man. Rob and Denise are mentors to me, pastors to me, and their example, let me tell you, they're amazing on stage, but they're just as great off the stage. They're the real deal. And you guys are very fortunate to have uh, this family, the Salvato family, and Aaron, I just love this guy. This, this whole family, it's really, really amazing how blessed you guys are. And, uh, and today's a very special uh, day for me because... I've been traveling, speaking around the country really since I was 16 years old. And, and uh, this is one of the first times my visit here happens to coincide with my mother being in town. We're from Oregon, so my mom's here. So it feels like a little bit of home. Hello, Tambo. We love you. So this is cool. After all these years, we finally pulled it off. Um, if you would, would you please turn with me to Romans chapter 15, verse 13 for our text This morning, Romans 15, verse 13. My friends, we need to have a checkup from the neck up, get rid of stinking thinking, and have an attitude of gratitude. Because my hopelessness about a problem is a bigger problem than my problem. And when my problem is too big for me, it's just the right size for God. Outlook determines outcome. So when your outlook gets bleak, you've got to try the uplook. Because when you change the way you look at things, things will change the way they look. The problem ain't the problem. The problem is our attitude about the problem. Because pain makes you stronger. Tears make you braver. Heartbreak makes you wiser. So thank your past for a better future. 
Paul the Apostle said we glory in tribulation because tribulation produces patience, patience experience, experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed because of the love of God which is spread abroad in our hearts by the power of the Holy Ghost. You have three choices. You can either give up, you can give in, or you can give it everything you got. And I say we give everything but up. Because we follow after Jesus who speaks life into dead things. He speaks hope into weary souls. He says weep not. He causes the lame to leap, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak. He turns every mess into a mess He turns every test into a testimony. So I say because we have one on our team who's braver than Batman, stronger than Superman, more indomitable than Iron Man, more audacious than Ant-Man. His name is the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. We don't wait for the storm to pass. We say life ain't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. So we're going to dance in defiance of the dark. We're going to turn the stumble into the dance because the Bible says he turns our morning into dancing. Come on. Good morning. (laughs) You know, a lot of people say, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I want to say, what happens when good people happen to bad things? See, sometimes we, we, we address the problem all wrong. We have to understand that our God is the God of hope. And the God who calls you to it will bring you through it. Which leads us to our text, Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now, the sticky idea I really want to plant in your mind is that the sobriquet, the moniker with which Paul dubs God, the nickname of God himself, the germane, intrinsic, fundamental, inherent identity of the Godhead, the deity we worship, is that he is the God of hope. That's who he is. Our Lord is the God of hope. And I want to prove it to you through this text. And um, I'm going to read to you out of my iPad, and some people have a problem with that, but I like to say, remember, the first written words of God were written on a tablet. (laughs) So turn in your Bible to Romans 15.13, or turn on your Bible to Romans 15.13, and Paul the Apostle says, now, this is my favorite verse in the New Testament. You actually have this epitaph out there in uh, in in the foyer. Romans 15, 13. Now the God of, say it out loud, hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Let me read that again. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of of the Holy Ghost. Now let's unpack this one phrase at a time. Notice he's called the God of hope, not the God of mope. We weren't called to be dope dealers. We were called to be hope dealers. I actually said that at a church a few weeks ago and the guy came up to me and he's like, you know, Ben, I used to be a dope dealer, but now I'm a hope dealer. Like that's what I'm talking about, man. Be like David and keep slinging that rock. I don't know if that was appropriate, but anyways... (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> now the God of hope, that's who he is. 
He doesn't just give a little bit of Jesus joy. He doesn't just give a little bit of sacred optimism. He doesn't just give a little bit of holy happiness or calm delight. He is the God of hope. That's his identity. That's who you pray to. That's who you study about. That's who you hear from. That's who you worship. That's who you serve. The God of hope. Now, I love this next phrase, fill you with all joy and peace. Fill you, fill you with joy and peace. Some people say, are you a glass half empty or a glass half full kind of guy? Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Well, I like to say I'm a glass totally full kind of guy. Because scientifically, the glass is half filled with hydrogen and oxygen. And the other half of the glass is filled with nitrogen and um, oxygen, half with air, half with water. So I like to say, like David, my cup runneth over. (laughs) Don't make me preach. (laughs) My cup runs over. I'm not a glass half empty kind of guy. I'm not even a glass half. My cup runs over. You see, how can I be? God doesn't meet my expectations. Well, if God always met your expectations, how would he be able to exceed them? Paul didn't say, now unto the God who is able to meet your expectations. He said, now unto him, Ephesians 3.20, who's able to do exceeding abundantly, above all you could ask or even think, according to the power that's at work within you. Your God wants your cup not to be half filled. He wants your cup to run over. My cup runneth over, the psalmist said. He wants to fill you, fill you with joy and peace. That's why this message is for everybody. Because if you have hope. You're like, you know what? I'm a pretty half glass full kind of guy. No, you need your cup running over. We all need to be filled with more joy and peace. It's interesting. The words joy and peace in Greek is Kara and Irene. And these became famous names in the early church and they carried on to America. And we still know people named Kara and Irene. That's the Greek words that are used for joy and peace. Kara and Irene. He wants to fill you with joy. He wants to fill you with peace. The word peace, interestingly enough, appears in every single New Testament book. The word peace appears in the New Testament 80 times altogether. He wants to fill you with joy and peace, not anxiety. How many of you are worry warts? I'm a worry. I I am a worry wart by nature. And the truth is, Jesus said five times in Matthew 6, don't worry. Now, if Jesus has to say something five times in one chapter, you should probably listen Five times, Jesus has to repeat, don't worry. He tells us why. He says, which of you by worrying can add a cubit to his stature? If you could, you'd be 23 feet tall. (laughs) Worry doesn't change anything other than your blood pressure. Worry's like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Jesus said five times in Matthew 6, don't worry. Be a non-anxious presence in the world. How? Paul told us in Philippians 4. He said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace, there's our word, the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That word guard is a military phrase used of a sentinel standing watch. The peace of God will stand watch over your heart to keep it a non-anxious presence in the world. You turn your cares into prayers You turn your stresses into supplications, your worries into worship, your fear into faith, your panic into praise, and peace will come. Now, the truth of the matter is, um, I'm kind of preaching to myself today because I need the message of hope more than ever. 
I'm in my 20s, but I've had a pretty crazy life in some ways. I've had really hard things happen to me, and I know every one of you have had hard things happen to you. Um, My sister died in a car accident. My dad's first wife died. My brother almost died several times over the past couple years, and he's suffered from Crohn's disease. I went through the biggest emotional heartbreak of my life over the past six months. And there are times when all you want to do is stare at walls. And you think, I'm not going to ever be happy again. And then you understand, wait a minute. My Lord is the God of hope. That's who he is. And I will not let my hope be dictated by my circumstances. My circumstances will always be dictated by my hope. That's how we live our life. And here's the deal. We need hope for our generation because did you know that the number one best-selling category prescription medications in our generation are antidepressants? The number one best-selling drug in our country, the number one best-selling pharmaceutical in our generation are antidepressants. We live in a country built in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and yet we're stressed and we're depressed. Our generation needs hope dealers. That's how God has called us to live. Because the truth is, sometimes we think God is far away when we're suffering, when the Bible teaches a diametrically opposed theology. Psalm 34 says, the Lord is nigh unto the brokenhearted. He is here and he is near. We just need an awareness of his thereness. His manifest presence shows up the most powerfully when we're suffering the most painfully. We might not see him, but we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Your God is here. Your God is near. He wants to heal the brokenhearted. He wants to bind up your wounds, the Bible says. That's who our God is. You draw near to him and he will draw near to you. He is the God of hope. And I love this. He wants to fill you with joy and peace and believing. And then here's our word again, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul just can't use the word hope enough. Two times in one verse. He's like, the God of hope wants you to abound in hope. I love that word bound because it's it's a synonym for bounce. What does that mean? God has not called you to be Eeyore. He called you to be Tigger. You bounce in hope, man. You're walking and leaping and praising God, Acts 3. Because that's, that's, that's who your Lord is. And he will show up the most presently when you're suffering most painfully. And the fact of the matter is the Bible shows this from cover to cover. Remember Paul and Silas? They delivered this slave girl from her portentous, oracular, slave-telling, foreboding, fortune-telling predispositions. I don't even know what I just said. Basically... <laughs> They freed this girl from her, from her demon possession, Luke says. And because of that, they got thrown into a dungeon and they were whipped and put in a prison. Now, sometimes you'll be in the wrong place for doing the right thing. And it says at midnight, they began to pray and praise. 
They began to pray and sing hymns. Sometimes when your night is at its darkest, that's when your praise has to be at its loudest. Don't complain and remain praise and be raised. They were praising God in the middle of their suffering, in the darkness of the dungeon. At the blackest hour of midnight, they were singing praises to God after they got whipped and they were praying. They didn't say, we're going to bust the whip and do the nay-nay. They said, we just got whipped, so let us pray, pray. turns our morning into dancing. (laughs) Stephen, when he was getting stoned with rocks, you remember when he was martyred, the blood of the martyrs is the seat of the church. He was standing before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court of 70 elders, and they, they sentenced him to capital punishment. And when he was having rocks thrown at him, the Bible says the sky opened up and he began to see Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is never standing at the right hand of the throne of God. Never. In all of the New Testament, Jesus is always seated or sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. The one time you see him stand up is when Stephen's dying and Jesus stands up at the right hand of the throne of God and Stephen sees Jesus standing. What's Jesus doing? He's giving Stephen a standing O. He's saying, you've suffered well. I got to stand up for this one. And that's what the Lord does for you when the hair is rising on your neck because you're so afraid the hairs on your neck are giving God a standing ovation. And God himself uses your fear as a platform for his faithfulness. He is here. He is near. So when life gets too hard to stand, kneel. Okay, no golf claps allowed. Can we applaud the God of hope? When life gets too hard to stand, kneel. Because the God of hope is on a throne. Listen to this. In the book of Revelation, there are 22 chapters. In 17 of those 22 chapters, on roughly 45 occasions, St. John the Apostle speaks of a politically charged piece of furniture called a throne. On 45 occasions in the book of Revelation, John speaks about a throne. What is he saying? Do you want a sneak peek at the end of your story? Look over at the back of the book. And in the back of the book, you know what you're going to find? That the God of hope is on a throne 45 times. All of history is moving toward his reign. The universe is unfolding as it should. I'm not saying that all things are good. I'm saying all things work together for the good when you love God and are the called according to his purpose. When I was a kid, I got terrible grades. 2.0 grade point average in high school. Got really bad grades in middle school as well. My teachers didn't know how to teach a creative genius. I'm joking. Not about the 2.0. So I got bad grades. And whenever there was a problem in my math book that I couldn't solve, all I had to do was turn to the back of the book. Did any of you have that in your textbooks? And in the back of the book, there were the answers to the problems that I couldn't solve. And so the problem was only the odd number answers were in the back. So my teachers were very suspicious when I only got the odd numbers correct. And I'd say, if you want to be number one, you have to be odd. And so, the same is true in life. 
When there are problems that you can't solve, turn to the back of the book. What's at the back of the good book? Revelation. And 45 times John's saying over and over again, all of history is moving toward a throne. That's where history is going. And that's very important for us because a throne spoke of a political leader. And in that day, that was subversive because Caesar was technically sitting on the throne. And in our day, um, a lot of Americans are lacking hope because we are no longer the United States of America. We're the divided states of America. It's divided between blue and red. And the truth of the matter is, we're more divided now over this last 12 months, over this political process, than we have been since the days of Vietnam. This is the most divided our country has been in decades, arguably. And you might say, I have no hope because the donkey let me down. Or I have no hope because the elephant let me down. Well, I say, why don't we stop focusing on the donkey and the elephant? Why would we follow a donkey? Or why would we follow an elephant when we can follow the Lamb of God? Come on, man. And whatever your political persuasion might be, what we can all agree on is that all of history is moving toward the reign of the Lamb. And the truth is, all of history is not moving toward a democracy, a monarchy, an oligarchy, an autocracy, a tyranny. It's moving toward a theocracy where God's kingdom comes to earth as perfectly as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. All of the universe is unfolding as it should. This is what Napoleon Bonaparte, the greatest political leader of the past 500 years, Napoleon Bonaparte said this, I have known men and Jesus Christ is no mere man. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, myself, we've all founded empires, but upon what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men would die for him. And now 2.18 billion Jesus followers are in the world saying the lamb reigns. That's where the world is going. Why, why are we worshiping the God of hope? Because he's on the throne. No matter who gets elected in four years, nobody can dethrone God. There is no game when it comes to his throne. So we don't live from the pew up. We live from the throne down. Sometimes I want to sit in my pew and say, Lord, here's what I think you should do. That doesn't work. But when God from his throne is making his decree, I find, wow. It's not what I expected, but it's better than I imagined. And here's the truth. God cares about if your heart's broken today. If you feel like hope's not for you. Because there's some of you sitting here, you're like, you know what? It's just not for me. Hope is not for me. Did you know that God doesn't just care about what you do? He doesn't just care about what you believe. He cares about how you feel. The Bible says over and again that Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw his people as sheep without a shepherd. He was moved with compassion when he saw the widow at Nain just lost her only son. He was moved with compassion at the plight of others. God cares about your heart. In fact, the Bible talks about your heart, count them, 900 times. 900 times. That's how much God cares about your heart. 900 times the Bible speaks of your heart, which is the sum, the seat, the center of who you are. It is the nexus of your emotional existence. And God cares about your heart. In fact, there's not one tear that you've ever cried when your heart is broken that is lost on God. 
Psalm 56 says, all my tears are in your bottle. They are recorded in your book. The reason that's so beautiful is because in Old Testament culture, women actually had as one of their most valued possessions a tear bottle. And in this tear bottle, they would collect their tears of greatest sadness and their tears of greatest gladness. Their tears of joy and their tears of grief. And when they got married, they would often give the tear bottle to their husband, which is very metaphoric, poetic, and romantic. And they would say, I give you my heart. All my tears, greatest happiness, greatest sadness. I give you my heart. Isn't it interesting that in all four Gospels, we're told the story of a woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair, with her perfume, and with what else? Her tears. What she was probably doing culturally was she took her tear bottle, dumped it on Jesus' feet, and was thereby saying, I am the bride of Christ. I give you my heart. And when you give God your heart, he will take really good care of it. Your pain is not wasted. Your pain is not wasted. So don't ask, how can I get out of this? Ask, what can I get out of this? One of my favorite phrases in the Bible is, it came to pass. (laughs) Your storm did not come to stay. It came to pass. And no matter how dark your night might be, no matter how deep the valley may sink, no matter how formidable the grave may appear to be, even when the stars are swallowed in shadows and the sun refuses to pierce the thunderclouds through trials of fire and storms of water through dark days of despair and dark nights of the soul, hope in God because you can bet your bottom dollar that we don't study the blues, we study the good news. What I'm trying to say is don't be sad because sad spelled backwards is das and das not good. (laughs) In Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, the author would actually tell his soul, why are you sad? He said, why are you cast down? Three times he repeated this refrain. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. He would, actually, he would actually talk to his own soul. Why are you sad? The problem with most Christians is we listen to ourselves when we should talk to ourselves. You have more than 30,000 thoughts every day neurologically. And the problem is we just listen to whatever thoughts wreak, ravi- wreak havoc in our head. You got to start taking control and saying, you know what? I'm not going to listen to myself all day. I'm going to talk to myself. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, that's what it's all about. He said, but Ben, if I, if I actually talk to my soul like the psalmist, why are you cast down on my soul? Hope in God. People are going to think I'm schizophrenic and crazy. We'll put a Bluetooth in your ear and people will think you're talking on the phone. <laughs> but what did the author tell his soul? He said, hope in God. So here's the sticky idea that I want to present to you today. He's the God of hope. And here's how you get hope. Ready? Drum roll, please. Can I have a drum roll? This is the climax. Okay, drum roll, please. Okay, here we go. You get hope when you stop focusing on your problems and you start focusing on God's promises. That's it. I've been walking with the Lord for 27 years since I was two years old. 
And that's what I found. That so often I tend to focus on my problems and peace doesn't come. Isaiah promises, 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So we've got to stop focusing on our problems and start focusing on God's promises. That's when hope comes. So what I want to do is I want to play for you a little clip from our TV show. We just started a TV show over the past six months. So if you could be praying for that, that would mean a lot. And um, I want to play for you this clip because these are just promises from God. These aren't my opinions. This is just straight from scripture. I'm a big fan of meditating on and memorizing the promises of God. If you need hope today, take in these promises and I believe God will fill you with joy and peace and believing. And by the way, before we uh, play this clip, I love how he says there's joy and peace in believing because belief is just faith. And faith, the Bible says, is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the future tense of hope. Or hope is the future tense of faith. Live in the future. Faith is just an acronym. F-A-I-T-H. Forward all issues to heaven. (laughs) And when you do that, you're like, okay, I'm going to forward all issues to heaven. And I'm going to receive in my inbox all your promises. And I want you to take in these promises from God to get a fresh filling of hope. Let's take in this clip. Sometimes I feel like my life is broken down and rusted out. But the promises of the Bible are the bridge from despair to hope. You go from glory to glory, grace to grace, strength to strength. As your days are, so shall your strength be. He turns your sorrow into joy, your mourning into dancing, puts off your sackcloth and girds you with gladness, gives you the garments of praise in exchange for the spirit of heaviness, gives you beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. If you sow in tears, then you'll reap in joy. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, for they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, for the Lord can save by many or by few. Is his arm too short that it cannot save? Is his ear too dull that it cannot hear? Thou shalt be the head and not the tail. Thou shalt be above and not beneath. Be still and know that I am God, for I will be exalted among the nations. As you meditate day and night on the law of God, you'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, bringing forth fruit in your season, so that your leaf will not wither and whatever you do will prosper. Psalm 20, may the Lord grant you your heart's desires. Psalm 21, 2, the Lord has granted me my heart's desires. Psalm 37, 4, as you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 145, 19, he will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. Proverbs 10, 24, the desire of the righteous will be granted. Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow with it. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. For the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
Even if my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me for many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The Lord is nigh unto the brokenhearted and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. He healeth the brokenhearted and bindeth up their wounds. The Lord your God is a sun and shield. He will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Happy are those people whose God is the Lord, whose hope is in the God of Jacob, whose help comes from the Lord who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. For the path of the just is like the shining sun, shining ever brighter unto the perfect day. Even if I sit in darkness, then the Lord will be a light unto me. Commit your work to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. If you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. No weapon formed against you will prosper for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. He taketh up the isles as a very little thing. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are loyal to him, that he might show himself strong on their behalf. The Lord, your God is a warrior. So endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. For the battle is not yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. The Lord your God in the midst of you. He is mighty. He will save. He will rest in his love. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rejoice over thee with singing. He will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ending of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who came before you. All things work together for the good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Now these things that were written were written for our learning that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Brethren, whatever things are true, noble, lovely, just, pure, virtuous, and praiseworthy, meditate on these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let patience have its perfect work that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He brought my feet out of the pit, out of the miry clay. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Behold, what manner of love the father has given unto us, 
that we should be called sons of God. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. After Abraham patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We might be hard pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We might be perplexed, but we are not in despair. We might be persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We might be struck down, but we are not destroyed. Because God who begins a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. No eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind is conceived what the Lord has in store for those who love him. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. God has given us exceeding great and precious promises. God cannot lie and all the promises of God in him are yes and amen. We have now bridged the gap from despair to hope with the promises of God. When we are focused more on God's promises, it will eclipse our problems. If you want to go over those promises again, because there was a lot there, so if you, if you want to kind of, you know, maybe put those to memory or think more about those, you can just go to YouTube and uh, type in Hope Generation Promises. Hope Generation Promises on YouTube. And um, we need these promises of hope in our generation. So what God has called us to do is he's called us to go out there as hope dealers, as lights in the world. Jesus didn't say you're the gray rain cloud of the world destined to drizzle. (laughs) He said, you're the light of the world. You have a shine design. And when Jesus said, you're the light of the world, he also said, you're fishers of men. It's fascinating because um, there's this fish 2,080 feet below sea level. It's called an anglerfish. And it made its cameo in Finding Nemo. It's a real fish. It has a light bulb at the end of its head. So it is a fleshy tendril with phosphorescence attached to the tip. And it actually uses its light to lure in little prey in the deep sea. And it will use, in, use its light to lure fish in and then it gobbles them up. In the same way as fishers of men, we lure people into the gospel net, not by our glower, but by our glow. Not when we say, I'm going to debate people into the kingdom, but rather, I'm going to be debate and lure them into the kingdom. (laughs) Not by being a mope generation. But by being a hope generation, not by our glower, but by our glow, that's when we lure people into the kingdom and people want not the blues, but the good news that we have. The truth is when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, he was in the presence of the God of hope for 40 days. He came back down and what happened to his face? It was glowing. He didn't have the mojo. He had the mo glow. (laughs) And when they saw the mo glow, they said, well, do whatever you say. When we're the light of the world, people will see our light so shine and they'll glorify the Father in heaven, Matthew 5, 16. That's how God has called us to live. And by the way, when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, did you know that is physiologically, scientifically, and biologically accurate? 
Humans glow due to metabolic reactions within the body. The problem is our glow is 1,000 times weaker than the naked eye can register. But technically, you glow. So when you wake up to your spouse in the morning, even if your spouse hasn't had coffee yet, before coffee, hates everybody. After coffee, feels good about hating everybody. You can say, honey, you glow. Like, well, I don't think he does. I don't think she does. Well, technically, they do glow. Scientifically, due to metabolic reactions within the body, they have photons emitting off of their epidermis. It's pretty amazing. So you can say, honey, you look like a million bucks. Just if you live in London, don't say, honey, you look like a million pounds. (laughs) By the way, if... If a guy tells you you're ugly, he's a jerk. If a girl tells you you're ugly, she's jealous. If a kid tells you you're ugly, you're ugly. (laughs) I think of when Winston Churchill was talking to Bessie Braddock, and Bessie Braddock said, Winston, you're drunk. And Churchill said, and madam, you're ugly. And tomorrow when I wake up, I'll be sober, and you'll still be ugly. One time he was talking to Nancy Astor, and Nancy Astor said, Winston Churchill, if you were my husband, I would poison your tea. And Churchill replied, Madam, if you were my wife, I would drink the tea you poisoned. (laughs) But in all seriousness, the Lord says, I find you so beautiful that I'm going to call you the image of the invisible God. And how beautiful is God? Second Chronicles 20 says he's surrounded by the beauty of holiness. He says, I think your poetry in motion, Ephesians 2.10, the word masterpiece, speaking of you, is actually the word poema, where we get our English word poem. God says, you are the apple of my eye. God says, you are kings and priests. God says, you are daughters of the divine. You are children of the king. So knowing that, we can go out there and we can bring hope to the world, not focusing on our problems, focusing on God's promises. We can go out there and represent as ambassadors the God of hope. My friends, you've been called to be game changers, world shapers, risk takers, history makers, storm stillers, wave walkers, giant killers, torch bearers for the kingdom of God. So don't tell your God how big your mountain is. Tell your mountain how big your God is. Don't measure the size of your mountain. Talk to the God who can move it. You can relax and sit back because every setback is a setup for a comeback. And just because you go through hell doesn't mean you need to smell like smoke. You might be at your rope's end, but you're not at your hope's end. You might be knocked down, but you are not knocked out. You might lose the battle, but you ain't going to lose the campaign because the God who calls you to it will bring you through it. And just because bad things are happening around me does not mean they need to happen inside me. I can't control what happens to me, but I can control what comes through me. God doesn't do anything to me. He only does things for me. And if God's going to do something for me, he's first got to do something in me. So don't look down and give up, but look up and get up because Jesus rose so you could rise. Don't look in and get depressed. Don't look down and get distressed. Don't look around and get stressed. Look up and get blessed because your past supply is not your last supply. The more desperate your case, the more space for God's grace. 
God's love is the coal that makes the train roll so you can hope and you can cope. You can be strong when everything's going wrong. You don't have to complain because rose bushes have thorns. You can rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. Your hope will not be dictated by your circumstances, but rather your circumstances will always be dictated by your hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on. That's who he is. You're so good to us, Lord. We agree with the psalmist when he said, truly, God is good. And I think of the words of Winston Churchill. If you're going through hell, keep going. Lord, I pray that we would keep going through the valley of the shadow of death. That we would not lie down in the valley. That we would not write all our songs in the valley. That we would not build a business in the valley. Yea, though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we know we're going to green pastures and still waters because your rod and your staff comfort us. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. For you are our shepherd. We shall not want. You prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. You are good and our cup runneth over because you're the God of hope. In Jesus' name.